more great shows or join the team at sport-social.co.uk. Hello, welcome back to 10 Days of Ten Hag. It is day two today and we will be talking about David De Gea, the topic, Rob, that seems to be on everyone's lips. Some people are in one camp where he's the worst goalkeeper in the world. Some people in the other camp where he can do no wrong. The truth is always a little bit in the middle and that's what we're going to talk about today. This is episode two. If you haven't checked that episode one, make sure you do check that out. We spoke about Ten Hag and Ronaldo and how he fits into Ten Hag's system. Before we start, guys, make sure you give us a follow on at TF Masterclass. Give myself a follow on at Hayden underscore Rabani and give Rob a follow on at underscore Rob underscore B. Welcome back, Rob. How's it going? And uh, we're going to talk about the hair today. And this is going to be one which people will either enjoy or they will criticize, as we've seen every time we talk about the hair. Well, we're just trying to tell some truths one way and the other. You know, I pitched this on Twitter about whether David De Gea is good or bad in 2021. So as you said, people have got their opinions. That's fine. Everyone's allowed their opinions. What we're looking at now with this 10 days of 10 Hag is to what are the main issues that the new manager has to think about on these early days as the new Manchester United boss. So there's no doubt that David De Gea had a really good season last year. We'll chat a little bit more about that. But there's also valid gripes that he's not really the epitome of a modern goalkeeper. He's a little bit old school. So we'll go through all of the kind of stats and the kind of more of the facts rather than fiction. And we'll see if David De Gea really is suitable for this new version of Manchester United. You pick up on a really good point there, you know, about David De Gea in the modern game. And I think we have to distinguish that because David De Gea 10 years ago was the best goalkeeper in the world. He was up there with the best. He was a fantastic shot stopper. And, and at that time, the game didn't really have as much emphasis on building out from the back, being a sweeper keeper. So in that respect, David De Gea really thrived in the modern game. We're seeing these deficiencies and he hasn't really changed as a player. Maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe he hasn't developed that side of his game. He hasn't had to. But you're seeing now that the emphasis on coming off your line, being a sweeper keeper, dominating your box. We saw Courtois do it sensationally well in that Champions League final. He, he won the game for, for Real Madrid. Uh, and then being able to be very involved in the build-up starting attacks. We've seen the amount of times that De Gea has kicked the ball out into touch. Um, you know, is it always his fault? Are some of the centre-backs, for example, not proficient enough in possession? Are they not showing themselves up for possession as well? That's another conversation we'll have when we talk about defenders on this series of shows. But uh, that's something important to, to distinguish, isn't it, Rob? That De Gea was a great goalkeeper, but maybe times have just changed. And, you know, that doesn't negate what he did do in the past because for a while he was maybe not his best player. And if it wasn't for that fax machine, <laughs> you do wonder where United would have been in that era. I think it's with the goalkeeping position, it's about is a goalkeeper as a player fit for purpose. Now you could sell it for any position really, but goalkeeper is so specialised. It's about how that goalkeeper fits the philosophy of the team. So this is why a goalkeeper like David De Gea, who's more of a shot stopper, some of the metrics might say he isn't actually a shot stopper, but being a goalkeeper that's much more rooted to his line, 
than, say, the modern goalkeeper. What do we mean by modern? We need goalkeepers that kind of come off their line and play outside the box. So we'll try and look at his metrics today. Some of the metrics are some of the top goalkeepers in the Premier League and in the world. Some of Ajax metrics in terms of what Ten Hag has done in the past. And maybe a future goalkeeper that could replace De Gea if that's necessary. Let's bring up Alan's comment here because I think it's very fair. He's saying De Gea is not a sweeper keeper and I can't see that changing now. He's still one of the best reaction keepers around, but he's not big enough. He's not a big enough problem versus other positions that need to be prioritised. And I think that's a really good point uh, to bring up. The United have so many holes in this squad. <clears throat> you know, they need a couple of midfielders. Looks like a right winger as well. Do they need a centre half? Looking at the fullbacks as well. Not None of them really fill me with that much confidence. So and, yeah. do, do you think goalkeeper has actually been pushed back and uh, we will talk about Dean Henderson. He's likely to go to Forest on loan and then there's an option to buy. doesn't look like a goalkeeper will be uh, a change this season. So De Gea will have another season to prove himself. Well, Alan's comment is the whole show in one little nutshell. Because, yes, we know De Gea has weaknesses. Is he the most weak part of the team? No. He was one of two players of the year, obviously, last season which again is a kind of, I think, a silly way of looking at anything. No one was really a player of the year, not in not in truthful terms. But David De Gea did save Manchester United a fair bit last year. So I think David De Gea, I think we commented at the end of the season and he got a lot of flack for it by saying, I'm happy with my performance this year. And I think that the things that he judges himself by, which is keeping the ball out of the net, well, when you look at the numbers, it wasn't particularly good. United conceded a lot more goals last year than they had done the previous season and previous seasons. But there's no doubt there were some games that without De Gea, you probably would have conceded twice as many. So this is the problem that Ten Hag has because he needs to play a modern system. He needs a, a modern goalkeeper to do that. But he needs seven players before he thinks about a goalkeeper. And this is kind of where Ten Hag sits today. But we'll try and break it down a little bit. And we'll look at the value and see whether De Gea can be the goalkeeper at the start of this season. And whether he can change. Because there's always that option with a new manager. Um, could David De Gea be a sweeper-keeper? I think the honest answer to that is no. But could he do more with the ball at his feet? I think the answer is yes. It depends how you set your defence up and how your goalkeeper can be that first port of call when the ball is on the deck and what you ask that goalkeeper to do. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, keep your comments coming as well. Make sure you hit the like button, hit the subscribe button too. <clears throat> so, Rob, let's bring up this graphic here from FB Ref, and this is regarding some key statistics. So, as we know, David De Gea is a very good shot stopper. That's one of his strengths, although you can look at the statistics here. I mean, he's in he's bang, slap bang in the middle, 50th percentile in Europe compared to other goalkeepers so you know he w wasn't exactly one of the best in Europe in terms of shot stopping but United conceded a lot of goals um <laughs> the most goals they ever conceded so that could lend to that statistic as well I don't really want to focus on the shot stopping I want to focus on a few key ones here so let's start with touches now this is worrying you know he's in he's in the worst category the first percentile in Europe with touches, the number of touches he has. And that does lend to the to, to the theory that he isn't very good with the ball at his feet. I mean, could it be a question, Rob, that, um, you know, you know, I did try that under Oli. It didn't go so well. We saw it under Ranić. There was probably less emphasis on building from the back under Ralph Ranić. Obviously, Ranić ball didn't really work here at Man United. The players didn't adopt it. But that is worrying when you look at it, that in the bottom percentile in Europe for touches, when Ten Hag has such an emphasis 
on the goalkeeper being involved in the build-up with the centre-backs. You know, one of the full-back drops in, they look to dominate and establish domination in possession early. And, uh, you know, they're looking to get through the, the front press of the opposition. And that's what Ten Hag is synonymous for with his uh, centre-backs and with his goalkeeper. Well, these, these uh, stats are the past and leading into the present, looking towards the future. I'm not going to use the word worrying. Why is that? Because Manchester United's team has certainly not been set up or fixed in a way where the goalkeeper has to have lots of touches. You know, that's just not been the way that Manchester United have set their defence up. So we expect to see David De Gea in a lower percentile when it comes to things like touches. And I think that that's really indicative of how United have played in their defence, that when you look at how United play out from the back, it always looks such a mess, doesn't it? Because it's not a focus. I'll tell you this little kind of uh, little story on top of this. I remember in the early days of Ralph, when Ralph came to the club and the Crystal Palace match and the ones after that, I watched David De Gea quite closely. And David De Gea's starting point, rather than being on the edge of his six-yard box, was starting matches on the edge of his own box and even further out, a little bit like Allison, a little bit like Edison, that style. So he was clearly told, I need you to compress so my centre-backs can play higher and then we can play a counter-press and we can go quick. So De Gea started doing that under Ralph. And as time went on, like all the rest of the team, slowly but surely went backwards to where they were six months before because it's like, I'm not doing this. So it's difficult to look at stats and say to De Gea, De Gea doesn't touch his. But if you're not actually got a team that does it, what's the goalkeeper supposed to do? He's actually being told probably over time, now actually to stay on your line, that's all you're good at. You know, I, I'm worried about your feet. So, but I'm not worried about it going forward because I think that when we look at Ajax's um, track record, and we'll do that in a second, we can actually see that the goalkeeper has different strengths sometimes. And I think with De Gea, like we've said at the start of the show, he's probably not Ten Hag's biggest problem on day one. The funny one that I'm looking at here, Rob, to be honest, on the screen is penalty sa uh, saves from penalty kicks. Exactly. Percentile, which is hilarious because De Gea didn't save anything, but he saved a couple last season, didn't he? So he actually did. It, it, he was season. better. He was better from the spot last year than he's ever been his whole life. Ever been. Yeah? yeah. So this is the thing. And that reflects that. But it also goes to show, again, with metrics, that metrics are good to kind of support a point, but they're not actually always great to just prove or disprove. They're not. Because... He's not a great goalkeeper from the spot, is he? He just isn't. But last year, he was in, like we're saying there, the 95th percentile. He's a really, really top-class goalkeeper for saving penalties. But that metric doesn't tell you the story of who David De Gea is as a human being, does it? As a goalkeeper. So this is why we have to be careful and use stats to support as opposed to prove. There's a couple here at the bottom as well, the key ones. We're going to compare this to a couple of other goalkeepers, yeah. uh, you know, the top goalkeepers in the league. We'll compare it as well to uh, Ajax's goalkeeper. But look, crosses stop. That's no surprise. David De Gea came bottom, Rob, in the uh, the whole of the Premier League out of all the goalkeepers in terms of crosses stopped. So mm -hmm. that doesn't surprise me at all. We know that he doesn't come off his line. There's a comment here saying, you know, Courtois isn't a sweeper, uh, but he just won the Champions League. Courtois is probably the best at coming off his line. He's, he's a great keeper. He does come off his line, makes himself big in terms of one-on-one uh, -on -one shots as well. And he's good. He's decent with his feet. He's better than De Gea with his feet. I haven't got Courtois stats up here, but you can see that with the eye test that he is better than De Gea in these key areas that De Gea is weaker at. Um, but look, defensive actions outside the penalty area as well. Look, he's bottom fifth percentile. 
and average distance of defensive action. So that's when how far he comes out, you know, per per defensive action when he's sweeping and he's in the 31st percentile. So when you have a look at these and you think about what the modern keeper is and what dictates a modern keeper should be or what they should be good at, David Ahead does come very low though on these key metrics. And while you can't look at stats in isolation, you do have to you do have to obviously compare that then to how Ten Hag wants his keeper to play and what he wants from his keeper. And David De Gea doesn't have seem to have those attributes or strengths which would thrive in the possession-based system that Ten Hag is looking to employ. Maybe. But I think that if Ten Hag really believed that or Ten Hag really felt that, he would be moving this goalkeeper on now. This goalkeeper wouldn't be around. It's a little bit like the Joe Hart situation at Manchester City with Pep is that Pep looked at him and straight away told him to his face, you're not going to be here much longer. Said it to him. And I think goalkeeper is such an important position now because there's no doubt that the goalkeeper at the back is an 11th outfield player. They're no longer this guy that sits on his penalty spot and then just kind of waits for things to happen. But like you just said about Courtois, it's interesting. Like Courtois won Real Madrid, the Champions League. But I agree with the comment. I don't think, I don't think Courtois is a modern goalkeeper either. He's just most certainly is not a sweeper goalkeeper. They might have come out and might have done some good work in those areas. But he's, he is not what we are talking about. He is not the next generation of goalkeeper is not a mobile ball player. And this is the thing, De Gea and Courtois, I think, are actually much more similar than you would say Courtois and Allison or Courtois and Edison. Courtois, even goalkeepers now in the mod in the league like Saar, you can give me say a uh, Ramsdale at Arsenal, you can talk about Robert Sanchez, who we will talk about later on. So it's about kind of what does a um, what does a manager really feel he needs from day one from his goalkeeper? Ball playing is part of that. Keeping the ball out the net still is the number one priority. But when you look at those metrics, they are mixed. And I think that is more to do with just how bad Man United have been in, def in the defensive areas in the last 12 months, as much as it is about De Gea's natural game. Let's move on now, Rob, to, in your opinion, the best goalkeeper or best modern goalkeeper in the Premier League. And we will flick back and forward, guys, when we look at De Gea's stats as well. So surprisingly, we were talking about this off off air as well. You know, Edison has is in the twenty second percentile for touches, so he's mm -hmm. he's not well, he's better than De Gea, but he's not amongst the best. And tell us your theories on that as well, because uh, I think you made a great point about uh, you know sort of why that is so low. The reason why that's low is because when we talk about the philosophy of a sweeper keeper, the idea of that is that the goalkeeper is a kind of last line deep lying centre back almost and doesn't it's not really involved in build up so this is the whole thing about the way Edison plays the position is that he's an interceptor so when the ball does finally get through Manchester City's team and don't forget they're very very good at keeping possession it means that Edison's touches are minimal in comparable in comparable terms you've got other teams where the goalkeeper truly is maybe the the quarterback the guy that gets the ball and might actually clip the uh, clip the ball into channels, into the wings, sometimes up to striker. And that's actually what De Gea does more of. De Gea plays what I would call uh, less sure balls. He actually plays his kind of speculative passes where he'll clip it into an area and then Man United will lose the ball invariably because they're not very good at keeping it. But when you look at Edison, I, I, I you know, we talked off air about it, about Edison and Allison. I wouldn't say Edison is the best goalkeeper out of it. It's just that Edison plays in a system that he helps and the system helps him. So this is why I made the point at the top of the show is that when you look at De Gea and you look at Man United, 
maybe those two things don't actually fit. Things that Ole were try was trying to do last year, certainly things that Ralph Ranić was trying to do when he was coming to the football club and playing a counter-press system, none of it really meshed together. And this is going to be Ten Hag's really kind of big key job at the start of this, is to make players maybe kind of just stretch a little. So they might not be so good at certain things, but how do you make them more productive and more effective? And that's where a clear, clear plan, strategy, principles come in place. I think Oli was a little bit muddled up, especially in that going into that third year, what he actually wanted the team to do. He wanted the team to play out the back, but you looked at the personnel in the team and they just weren't good at it. Uh, they weren't comfortable or they weren't, uh, you know, let's say um, their awareness wasn't good enough. And I think the spacing was a problem. I think someone mentioned it here. A Cohen mentioned yeah. it. You know, he said here, the shape and the spacing has been an issue for us. A goalkeeper goes a long way to helping shrink that space down allows for easier recovery. I think there has been issues between the, the centre-backs and the goalkeeper. But again, I but think ironically, it down. Sorry, ironically, can... sorry to jump in, sorry to yeah. jump in. Ironically, in that last full season for Solskjaer, United got quite good at it. They got quite good at going from goalkeeper to fullback to midfielder and out. And it took them maybe three years, Haydar, like overall from going back to kind of getting there. And then they fell off a cliff. So we don't quite know why they fell off a cliff. But last season, it was absolutely apparent that they couldn't make a five-yard pass from De Gea to one of the centre-backs. Now, that could be confidence. That could be just poor tactics, a poor game plan. It could be just because people aren't feeling it. But the year before that, Haydar, they got quite good at it. And the metric showed that. So this is the thing about balance, about what can players actually do. Because they've showed in the past they could do it, even when they haven't got a bunch of ball players around them. They've showed that they could do it. And they got quite good at it to the point where they became second in the league, Hadar, and didn't concede many goals. I think they were like fifth most goals in, in, in over the campaign. So they can do it. Why were they not doing it last year? That's, I think, what Ten Hag is going to be asking his goalkeeper and his defenders. Question here from Mimic asking, can you define what touches mean? So that's uh, how many times the, players, uh, the goalkeeper touches the ball. So the ball could come to him. Let's say Maguire passes it to De Gea. He touches it maybe dribbles with it and passes it, that the pass counts as a touch as well. Uh, so, look, De Gea is very low and Alisson is as well. But let's actually look at the bottom ones because I think this is where Alisson's, you know, sort of, uh, sorry, Edison sets himself apart mm -hmm. from 99% of goalkeepers in, in, in world football right now. And that's mm -hmm. the average distance he comes off, uh, you know, those defensive actions off his line. And he is so good at that. He is just phenomenal at reading danger, coming off his line and saving Manchester City. And the centre-backs know that they've got a goalkeeper behind them that can do that. And that helps a lot with confidence, helps with playing the high line. And I think that's where I think a lot of frustration does come with De Gea is coming off his line when it's to punch or to, to collect crosses. Uh, and then also in terms of coming off his line quickly, it's something that Henderson did. And we haven't got Henderson's stats last season because he played about two or three times. But something that we did see when Henderson had that run in the team when De Gea had, I believe he had COVID, didn't he? And then his daughter was born. One of the things that Henderson did very well in the game that stood out to me, I'm not a big Henderson fan, by the way, and I I'd actually wouldn't mind if both the keepers were sold and someone was bought in, to be honest, um, because I think they both have their deficiencies. But he was very good in that Spurs game at coming off his line. Remember, we beat them 3-1. Um, at This was during the Project Restart, and he was very, very good at sweeping up. And that's something I think where... United probably when they're looking at the next keeper, he needs to be good at. 
Yeah, he was good at doing that, sweeping up. But again, now we have to be really careful about what do we mean by sweeping. It's a good, actually, question there to say, what does touches mean? Because it might seem something really simple, but it isn't. So when we talk about sweeping up, this isn't running off your line and smashing the ball into Rose Ed. It's about getting the ball and getting it straight back out to someone and playing football. That's what Edison is good at. The reason why his defensive actions there are outside the penalty area and he's in he's the 75th, uh, 74th percentile is because he lives outside of his box. He just lives out there. He's just another outfield player. And when he gets the ball, he doesn't smash it into a channel. He doesn't smash it to a centre. Well, he actually makes a pass. So this is where we talk about tasking, because that's the whole thing with De Gea. De Gea is absolutely, and hasn't been, I would say, for 12 months minimum, tasked with being that kind of goalkeeper. So it's difficult to then judge him and say, well, you're not doing those goalkeeping things that we want you to do. When let's be honest, the manager in charge has had a system that's allowed that to happen. I think also to, on here as well, just to kind of highlight, I think it's really important. Crosses stopped their 56%. People might go, oh, well, that's really low. I'm a complete advocate that goalkeepers in the modern age do not come for crosses. Some do, but most of the time is that because build-up play is now through the channels, you don't have overlapping fullbacks who get to the byline and whip the ball in, therefore triggering a goalkeeper to come but off corners, the Corners, Rob, set pieces, I think, is where it. you'll see most of it. I was about to say, from corners, yes. But again, most of the time, most good teams will keep the ball well away from the goalkeeper's zone. So the goalkeeper might be able to come for it if it's you know down his throat or right in the middle of the, of the goal. But it, it's a much more rarer instance. The ball goes near post or far post. So it's one of those things that's difficult for goalkeepers to judge. And that's the whole thing with De Gea. De Gea is much more comfortable on his line. And as we've seen before, when he comes for the ball... He's not particularly strong in it either. But as this shows here, one of the best goalkeepers in the world, only in the top 56 percentile there. But that doesn't stop him being a good goalkeeper. So this is why I said about proof. We must be careful with it and only talk in terms of suggestion as opposed to 100% definition. It doesn't mean just because you're on the lower side of it that you're not good at it. Question here, Rob, from Cohen saying, could we learn to play for the second balls with David's ability to lob it high up? Oh, is that how we want to play? That feels very, let's look back in the 90s and play football like that. <laughs> That's, but, 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 but do, you know, this is the thing. If you're going to play, like we'll talk more about Ten Hag's style as the days of Ten Hag goes on and we look at different parts of the pitch. I don't want to regress, regress too much. But if you want to be a team that has high volumes of possession, that is not, they're not wasteful, that plays with pace and that also has the ability to counter-attack when you need to, then you just simply can't do that. You just can't. You can't kind of go to old tropes because that's really what you feel comfortable with. The truth is, Haydar, you either make the goalkeeper do what you want him to do or you get rid of the goalkeeper. It's just kind of as simple as that. So this is where I think the opportunity will be for De Gea this year is that we don't expect him to beat Edison. He can't do what Edison does well. He can't do what Alisson does well. And we'll look at Alisson in a second. But he can do other things better than he has. And he can be tasked to do better things with the ball at his feet than what we've seen. Let's move on, Rob. Now, we'll quickly touch on Alisson because, for me, I think he is the best keeper in probably in world football right now. Yeah. Uh, I think he has it all, to be honest. He's uh, very, very good, as you can see, in terms of his touches. 82nd percentile. Much more involved than, um, than Edison. But that's because I think Liverpool aren't as, let's say, their attention isn't as good as City. I mean, look, City can just pass you to death. And I think Liverpool are a lot more, obviously, gung-ho, a lot more end-to-end. -end. That's why I think you find Alisson has more touches. 
Um, but I think the key ones down here is he's very good on the high ball. Defensive actions outside the penalty area. Look, he's one of the best in Europe and same with the average distance of defensive actions. That's a modern goalkeeper. And it's no surprise that Liverpool are where they are because they have a goalkeeper like that, you know, alongside someone like Van Dijk. The spine of the team is very, very strong. But Alisson is, for me, the top keeper. And United need to probably go and find an Alisson if they want to go to the next level and start challenging these two teams. Mm, finding an Alisson, finding Edison, yes. You know, they're probably the best two goalkeepers in the Premier League at what they do. But again, it's more about how is your team going to benefit from having an Edison? How will your team benefit from having an Allison? Because I'll tell you this now, Ada, you could put those two guys in Man United's team from last year and Man United still concede the same amount of goals. Just what it is. Yeah, it's because the defence isn't good. So I think when you look at all of those things, there's no doubt, again, the metric support there, that, that Allison is so good at these situations about clearing up his lines making sure that the ball kind of sticks and when he's outside the box, his touches is always really, really good. He also keeps the ball out of the net, so he does all that kind of shot stopping as well. But if you go and get a goalkeeper like that, you've got to play a brand of football that supports what they're good at. So this is the balancing point, is that it'd just be very easy to just go, yep, go get your next Edison, go get your next Allison. But what you really need is a goalkeeper that fits your defence and a defence that fits your goalkeeper. I think the thing I, mean, I agree with you on the Edison point because I think Edison is perfect for the way Pep wants to play. And in some ways, you could say that Ten Hag does have similarities in terms of uh, you know in the build-up uh, compared to Pep Guardiola. And I think that someone like Edison would actually be very, very beneficial. And we'll see that when we have a look at what Ten Hag expects from his keepers because his keeper this year has some very interesting stats. Uh, but I do think Allison's a keeper that could slot into pretty much any system. You can see that with the statistics, Rob. Look, he can come off his line. He can play with the ball at his feet. He's a great shot stopper. And then on top of that, you know, he, he's great at coming off his line. He is, for me, the best all-round keeper. So I do agree with what you're trying to say. But I think you could drop Allison into any single team in Europe and he would be able to adapt because he is great or very good in nearly every single category. Yeah, it's the same logic that I wouldn't use for Cristiano. It's like Cristiano, one of the greatest goal scorers of all time. So the theory is if you put him in any team, he'd score lots of goals. Yes, he would. But would he suit? Does he make that team win more? So this is the whole point: is that these goalkeepers are brilliant, and that's why we're talking about them. But would they actually stylistically fit the current Man United crop that we've just seen in the last twelve months? I think the truth of that is that as good as they are, the reason why they're good is because of the defenses they play behind and play with at the moment. And Pep and Klopp have been the architects of that. So I think that's always the way. You can always look to upgrade a position. It's not always the full story. Sometimes these goalkeepers have to fit the philosophy before anything happens. You've got to have a philosophy first. Manchester United, let's be honest, for two years at the very least, have not had a footballing philosophy. Yeah, no, very good point. We bring up a comment here from Kieran uh, Cohen saying, I agree with you, with you guys. Just feel that we are horrible at winning second balls compared to the likes of Liverpool. I guess being able to play in the opposition half helps more. I think uh, the way I'd see it is sort of stepping away from the idea of winning second balls. If United can keep the ball better than any other team, it doesn't matter about the second balls because they're just going to be able to dominate possession. I think that's the standard we have to get to. We want to see aggression when United lose the ball. We want to see them try and win the ball, win the ball back as quickly as possible. We want them to win the second balls. But ultimately, football has changed. For me, what do I expect to see from Ten Hag after seeing what I've seen Ajax play, seeing the way that they played? I expect to see United be much better in terms of their, you know, their security with the ball, mm -hmm. in terms of not making as many mistakes, in terms of their spacing, in terms of their positioning. And I think that's the route United have to go to rather than becoming more aggressive, Rob. I don't know if, if that's kind of making sense from my point there. I think that's the, we're focusing 
we, we should be getting better with the ball at our feet rather than, in my opinion, win, you know, winning it back. What you, what you should be doing is just doing the basics really well. So if you do the basics really well, like don't give the ball away, you don't need to win back second balls. So I, I think the thing is, it depends what style of football you play. And United, a year or two ago, were actually statistically pretty good at winning second balls. Like you looked at Maguire and you looked at Lindelof. They were actually okay in those metrics. But if you want to be progressive, Haydar, you've got to do the basics well. Possession, passing, shape. You've got to kind of trigger certain things to happen on a football pitch and do it quickly. One of the things that you and me have spoken about a lot on our shows is how bad Man United are when that ball goes, say, to the fullback, let's say Aaron Wan-Bissaka. What happens then next? Does the ball go up the line? Does it go back to De Gea? Does it come inside? And Manchester United quite often haven't got a clue what they're doing in that position. The ball will come inside to Fred. Fred will lose the ball and you're in trouble. So they, And then we're looking at De Gea and saying, well, what's De Gea's positioning? Why is De Gea not coming out for that? It's because De Gea is thinking, I need to stay on my line because this lot are going to mess it up. So all of those things do count. And I think it is a case for Ten Hag is that it really needs to go back to basics. You've got your defenders. It, aggression is part of it. But technique, I think, is 100% more important and aggression is kind of afterwards. You do want your players to be motivated. But I think they'll get better and more motivated and more aggressive, Haydar, once they know what they're doing with the ball. I agree with that. Let's move on, Rob, now <clears throat> to Passveer. I'm not sure if I'm saying his name correctly. Now, he was actually the starting goalkeeper for Ajax last season. He played about 2,800 minutes. Uh, Anana, who's been Ajax's starting keeper for years and years since he joined in 2015, is uh, didn't get many minutes, is on his way most likely to Inter Milan on a free transfer. So that's why, you know, we saw um, Pasfield play a lot of games. And the interesting one, I want to, two statistics I want to point out is the touches, um, which is no surprise at all. We know David De Gea was in the bottom, bottom percentile and so Pasfield was on the 87th and then the average distance of defensive actions, 91st percentile. So didn't come off his line very much and didn't really, you know, make that many actions outside the penalty area. But when he did come out, he was going very, very far and he was sweeping up. So interesting because heavy emphasis then on proficiency with the ball at his feet, being able to help in the build-up. As I said, you know, I, uh, Ten Hag likes to use his two centre-backs and his goalkeeper, you know, sort of dropping in so that Ajax can, you know, sort of have this, let's say, like a ring of security in terms of possession. Then you'd mm -hmm. see either Deli Blint or Masrawi. One of them would drop in and uh, that helped them, you know, to sort of uh, have three against twos and things like that. Yeah, I think what this really shows when you kind of look at the balance of all the stats here and from touches to average distances is that it shows that Ajax have used their goalkeeper in a kind of get the ball away from the defensive area. So it's not like Edison being a ball player. It's actually more a little bit old school of, right, let's get this into the channels. Let's get, let's get the ball moving in that direction. So I do think that when you look at the way Ten Hag plays, that stylistically he's a, he's a little bit more like Guardiola than he is Klopp. But where he is like Klopp is that he will play some form of counter-press if they can get the ball into corners quickly. So they will do that. So this is why I look at De Gea and kind of understand myself why the manager isn't saying on day one, I got to get rid of this goalkeeper. This is not my situation here with Joe Hart. This is a goalkeeper that can do certainly these things. So could De Gea start outside his box? Yes, he could. And can De Gea play a ball distance there? Of, like we said there, 91st percentiles are pretty much right at the top of pushing the ball away from the defensive area, say looking after 
Harry Maguire looking after Victor Lindelof in those situations. Yes, he can. So you look at that there and it really does show, especially with the touches as well, that maybe, maybe, maybe Ten Hag is more stylistically closer to what Man United have done under Solskjaer than he is, people think, being this kind of all-encompassing Dutch system. Maybe. Because I think that's what the, what some of the stats suggest, is that Ten Hag's style might fit English football quite well. And he doesn't need a goalkeeper that does what Edison does on day one or Alisson. He might need it in a year or two, but does he need it on day one? I think the stats are kind of saying no. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. I think um, if, if he can get David De Gea, you know, having more touches per game, you see him coming off his line in terms of his distance of defensive actions, I think then, you know, United don't have as much of an issue with David De Gea. Do you not agree? Uh, if David De Gea stops the ball going in his net, however that happens, so if United concede less goals, and if David De Gea starts on the edge of his box rather than the six-yard box, and I think if David De Gea is quick off his line than he has been, I, I do believe he's been tasked to stay in his box, and that's been part of the issue. But if you task him to be more outside of the box... David De Gea can match these metrics pretty comfortably. I really do believe that. And that's not to say that David De Gea is suddenly going to be a ball player. He will never be a ball player. But it's exactly the same like we said about Courtois. Courtois is not a ball player, but Courtois can do the basics and do them well enough to help his team win a Champions League. So I think this is why the whole De Gea question is a much more wider question than maybe the people that love Henderson or the people that hate De Gea. Because it's not really about that. It's about how your team will play and will he fit that style and not hurt you. And let's be honest, if De Gea is on form, he will save you in games. There will be times where he'll just be in that top corner, flicking it away with his fingertips and you'll go, wow, David De Gea has still got it. But he's got to be better on the deck. He's just got to not be a disaster on the deck, Haydar. That's it. And I don't even really think he is. I don't watch him week to week and think, oh, look, he's giving the ball away again or he looks massively uncomfortable with the ball at his feet. I just think United need to move the ball quicker and more accurately. And maybe the ball doesn't end up at Fred. Maybe that's the issue. Maybe it's better if the ball ends up at De Jong. Yeah, so that's, that's, the difference. that's a huge difference, isn't it? It's like a complete difference. It's like a different game. It's not even football. It's a completely different sport. <laughs> so once you can work that out and go from fullback to centre-back and inwards, it solves all sorts of things. It means that like Varane can do certain things with carrying the ball out. It means even Maguire will have more time on the ball. And once you give the players more time on the ball, it means De Gea will get more time on the ball. And you can do things properly. And let's be honest, last year or so, all of them have messed that up because they look like they don't know what they're doing. And I think the results actually showed they didn't know what they were doing. That's the key then. So, you know, you can say one of the takeaways from this show will be, can Ten Hag get De Gea from here? He's never going to be up here. But can you get him to maybe, I don't know, 60%, 70%. And if he does, then it's a huge improvement and United will be better. But you make a great point about De Jong. So I was actually going to say that or, or, or mention that, that when you're looking up as a goalkeeper and you're looking at Harry Maguire, who I think is not great on the ball, he's great at progressing the ball. When he's got the ball, you know, going into the opposition half, he's he's very good at that. But he's not. I don't think he's. I think he's clumsy and cumbersome on the ball. Um, you know, he's slow. We've mentioned that many, many times. Varane hasn't had a great season, lacking confidence. And you're looking up and you're like, oh, it's Fred and McTominay, two players that their first instinct isn't isn't to be able to turn around and look forward, but they can't pick a pass. I think as a goalkeeper, it's really difficult uh, to be able to look good as well in terms of your passing. I still think the hair is an issue. Like we mentioned, there's a good comment from Alan at the beginning saying. The hair isn't the solution, 
But I do think Ten Hag could probably do with what he's got for another year. Yeah, he's not the solution long term. I 100% agree with that. And I do think that when you talk about contracts and in a year or two or three, you know, do you want to be going still with a goalkeeper that does things that De Gea does? Uh, but what I would think is, is that De Gea is not a disaster with the ball at his feet if you can open the play a little bit. So let me just give this as an example. When De Gea's got the ball and say on the goal kick, you're taking it from the spot left or right, what Man United tend to do is the centre-back split and drop. So they drop into those kind of wide left-back, right-back areas and the ball will go to one of them. And that then is the trigger for the opposition to press. So you press and quite often Victor Lindelof gets his head up and goes, I'm not giving it to Aaron Wambasaka because he can't control the ball. I'm going back to De Gea. De Gea then gets it and then has to rush to get the ball to Maguire. Now, that is just rubbish. That's not modern football. What you need to do is to get the ball into the midfield as quick as you can and as accurately as you can. So that's the bigger question here. And I think that's what Ten Hag will solve. First of all, he will task his centre-backs to be able to help the goalkeeper more and get the ball out. And suddenly you'll see that De Gea's life with the ball at his feet just gets 100 times easier, Haydar. He won't panic with certain things. He'll have loads more time. You just said there about Harry Maguire. Harry Maguire, allegedly, is pretty good with the ball at his feet. Now, I think that he is. He's a ball player. That's his MO from his years gone by. The problem is that Man United as a team, again, defensively, are not good ball players. And that's been the problem. And he suffered because of that. So I think, again, if you get these things right, these positions right, Suddenly, Maguire will have more time on the ball. He'll pick the right pass. Yeah, Varane will get the ball. He'll be able to step out with the ball more. All of these things start from that first pass with the with the centre-back splitting and going back. Stop doing that and maybe push up a little bit and play a more progressive ball into a full-back and then outnumber the attackers as they try and press you. Let's move on, Rob, because we've said that De Gea isn't the long-term solution. So we're going to talk about the possible long-term solution now. It's a keeper that we both really like. And I think a lot of people in the comments, a lot of people that will be watching this on playback will all agree Robert Sanchez from Brighton is the sort of profile that United should be be targeting, you know, when they are looking to replace David De Gea. Mm -hmm. And when you look at him, again, all round, he's a good keeper, touches 89th percentile. That lends to the fact that obviously we know Graham Potter has a very large emphasis on possession-based football. Uh, Brighton are fantastic with the ball at their feet, and he, he's a big part of that in terms of starting attacks. But look here, crosses stop, 96th percentile. There's a lot of chat in the Premier League that you've got to be physically good as a goalkeeper on the high ball. I think that's still correct, and that's still true. Um, and I think that's very, very important for a goalkeeper. When you, you looked at, for example, Claudio Bravo that when Manchester City signed him, and that's a point. And that, and that also, that's the difference between Man United and Manchester City, that, look, Bravo wasn't good enough and Pep went and bought another goalkeeper you know United have stuck with the same keeper and you know they've stuck with the same options in different positions for years we see Phil Jones has got another contract but that's a different discussion but you saw that Bravo really struggled under the high ball and they remember the year that May United um, beat City they just targeted him consistently mm-hmm. and uh, he wasn't good enough in that respect so that's a big positive for Robert Sanchez Again, you're looking at defensive actions outside the penalty area, 69th percentile. Average distance isn't that much. But all in all, look, he's a very good all-round goalkeeper. He is uh, obviously in the Spain squad against uh, ahead of David De Gea as well, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is something to be noted. And that's key as well. Luis Enrique has picked Raya, who's at Brentford, one of your favourites from the FBL uh, season. And uh, so many other goalkeepers ahead of David De Gea because of the fact that he doesn't think David De Gea uh, has adapted to the modern game what's expected of a goalkeeper. So I think that is pretty telling as well. I know, you know, Enrique has preferences and that's fine. But when we look at Robert Sanchez, 
this is a sort of goalkeeper when you look at him, him under the high ball in terms of being good with his feet. Uh, he's very Premier League proven as well. United should be looking at someone like that, you know, looking forward into the future when they are looking at a new goalkeeper. Definitely. And I think it's good to assess what Enrique said about De Gea recently and about his goalkeepers, about the first action. That's what he talked about a lot. The goalkeeper gives me my first action. So he's talking about that pass from goalkeeper to player. But I think the issue for Man United, and this is, I think, you, you know, you believe this, Haydon, you know it's 100% true, is that when that ball is at the goalkeeper's feet, how much movement is there in front of him? Well, I'm telling you this about a thousand times less movement than Spain give. So Spain will be moving for the ball. So that plays into the hands of someone like Robert Sanchez, doesn't it? Because he can play then accurate 10 and 15 yard balls with his eyes closed. That's why the average distance there, and we're saying he's only 35 percentile. Why is that? Because Brighton don't play long balls. They don't do it. They're not interested in that. It's not their style of play. They play a set system where they go, where they have fullbacks, wingbacks pushing up, and the ball goes into the centre-backs, and the centre-backs then bring the balls out. So he doesn't have to go long. He doesn't have to do it. I think with De Gea, that's been the issue, is that in, over the years, is De Gea's either got a, a short pass to a Lindelof, who then makes a mess of it, or a short pass into Maguire, who's then maybe stuck too far back, doesn't have the pace to bring the ball out, but then there's that issue of, do I go long? And I think you see that with De Gea a lot. He clips that ball into into the wing areas. May United haven't got any height in those areas. It doesn't, you know, you're not going to head the ball back into play, are you? You've got small diminutive players there. It's not, Jaden Sancho's not going to really benefit from that, is he? So I think this is the thing when we look at a player like Robert Sanchez, he's a big goalkeeper that plays small. And what do I mean by that? I mean, he's six foot five, but he plays like he's five foot ten. And that's important. Someone who's who's quite aware of what you need to be at the back of the uh, behind his defenders. But at the same time, you know, he, he's not a shrinking violet. You know, he's not a, a kind of small guy. He's not kind of a diminutive figure. He will go and do some of those things that you expect big goalkeepers to do. And that's where the balance comes, Haydar. And that's why I don't think Man United need to today go and find themselves the next five foot eight sweeper keeper who's going to be the best on his on the deck ever because Man United as a team are not the best on the deck yet you need to be able to train those other positions first I think De Gea suits that but yeah in the future this guy Robert Sanchez what a goalkeeper you know really really great goalkeeper can do everything so well he can do the crosses he can do the physicality but he really is a smart cookie with the ball on the deck Rob, let's go to the last word. Guys, thank you for all your comments as well. As always, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. <clears throat> let's go to the last word on David De Gea. You mentioned actually something just now. You're saying that, uh, you know, Ten Hag has to get all the other pieces right in mm -hmm. the system. United aren't the best at playing with the ball at, the, at their feet, playing with the ball on the deck. They aren't the best at keeping possession. They aren't the best in terms of their technical security. Um, but then there's the other argument that I often think is when you have a look at how important the goalkeeper is, to the build-up, you know, with the two centre-backs dropping, one of the full-backs doing the same as well, and making sure that they, um, you know, are very, very good in terms of their spacing and being able to build up from the back. That's where I think, actually, the goalkeeper is so key because we know that they're the ones that start off the attack. And if, let's say, for example, David De Gea, we don't know this yet, but look, history suggests that he's not going to be the best at it. The concern is you go into season and if De Gea becomes an issue or is an issue in terms of starting those attacks, um, that completely stunts Ten Hag's whole system because that's where the attacks are going to start. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? So yeah, I think there is a concern that United could be going to season, let's say Henderson does go. I don't think he's particularly brilliant in that respect mm -hmm. as well. 
but you have an option and I think he, he's okay at doing that. So that is a concern that, that uh, you know, Ten Hag's whole season or his whole way of playing could be stunted by the fact that the goalkeeper just can't do that side of the game. I think the, the, the phrase starting the attack is actually a cliche. No goalkeeper starts an attack. Edison doesn't start attack. Allisons do not start attacks. What they do is they sweep up. They're smart with the ball at their feet. And every now and then, Edison especially, will get an assist, won't he? He'll get the ball and he'll play a completely mad ball into Gabriel Jesus running the last man and Jesus will bury it or something like that. But that happens like once or twice a season. It's not a regular thing. So no goalkeeper starts the attack and David De Gea will never, ever be expected to start an attack. What you need to do, Haydar, is simplify what goes on in that defence. Quick one-touch passing and being confident enough to go from goalkeeper to defender to midfielder, like we said there, to De Jong, and then tell De Jong to turn on the ball and get the ball moving away from the defensive area. So, as I said, there's no, I don't think we have any issue that David De Gea can play that five or ten-yard ball. I don't watch him at Old Trafford and constantly think, you, you've got no you've got no foot there. You can't actually put your foot through the ball. He's actually quite neat and tidy when everyone else around him is neat and tidy. So that's what we need in the first instance. David De Gea needs to get the ball and not play it to the right-back position and then want the ball back because all you're going to do is get players put, coming onto you really quickly, aren't you? They're just going to press on you quickly. And I don't think that Ten Hag will set it up like that. I think Ten Hag will want to see one touch passing to get the ball out into midfield. And then you're already in the next phase. You're away from the defensive phase. And David De Gea will have time to breathe, reset, to know what you're supposed to do, and then maybe do a bit of sweeping up behind. But no, let's not let's not go there. I don't think De Gea will suddenly become a, a goalkeeper where we go, oh, look, he was actually brilliant with his feet all along. No, he's still going to be maybe in the worst half of goalkeepers in the Premier League in terms of technique. But can he get better with the ball at his feet if others are? A hundred percent. That defensive line needs to help him. Can you imagine if he's got Pal Torres in front of him? If he's got Pal Torres and he can play that to a left footer. And a or Lissandro Martinez as well. Great player exactly. with the ball at his feet. So Martinez, yeah. players who are technically proficient and are not scared of moving the ball out. Look at Chelsea. Chelsea have done that really well. Chelsea have gone, right, you know, our goalkeeper is okay at these things. But he's not the best. He's not a sweeper keeper. He's a bit more traditional in some of the things that he does. You know, a big guy, you know, shot stopper. He, he will come for crosses. However, the ball's going to be simple from him to the first player. And then we're going to go and give the ball to Kante or someone like that and get the ball moving in areas like that. Man United traditionally have been garbage at that for years, even going back to Mourinho when it was supposedly good at that. We played a lower block when you had more players in that area. If you give the ball to McFred in those areas um, every week, Haydar, you're probably going to lose the ball. So you need to fix that in midfield. And we will definitely talk about that in future 10 days of Ten Hag. And that's a wrap, guys. Look, thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed that. Make sure you do check out the Ronaldo episode we did as well, because I think that was very, very interesting to see how Ten Hag can get around. One, uh, the lack of quality in terms of chances that Ronaldo got, but also how does he work around Ronaldo in the off-the-ball work, which is so pivotal to Ten Hag's system. As always, hit the like button and hit the subscribe button. Rob, what's next on day three of 10 Days of Ten Hag? 
Uh, we'll keep it as a surprise. Watch out for Twitter. Follow us on our socials, and we will tell you what it is. Apologies, obviously, last week while there was a bit of a gap, I got COVID and ended up in bed, so that completely did everything that we wanted to do in terms of our recording. So we're going to kind of spread these ten days out for you a little bit more, so we can give you some more focused content. But we really do want to look at maybe points that Man United fans always have a beef with, you know. So like we've took, we've addressed De Gea there, and I think most will say like in the last say six eight twelve weeks there's been so much noise about how De Gea is just awful well is he really awful or or can he be kept for now and I think that we we're not sitting on the fence but we're giving you something that's more like suggestions about how you can use him as opposed to just saying one way or the other is he rubbish or is he good quite often in football the answer is somewhere down the middle Question here saying, can we have an Anthony and De Jong report? Yes, you can. Uh, and when that happens, myself and Rob will do one together on yeah. that. Um, and we'll do an in-depth, in-depth tackling. I will just give you that for now. Yes. Yeah. They are, I, I think Manchester United will sign those two players. That's why yeah. we put them in the first 10, uh, 10 days with Ronaldo, because they are pivotal to the way that this new manager wants to play and also unlocking the door for Ronaldo. But also unlocking the door for someone like De Gea. So the ball is coming out from the back and you've got better players in front of you, Haydar. It suddenly just becomes a different game, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, I think Manchester United will sign Anthony and I think they'll sign De Jong. I think Anthony will actually come first. Everyone's saying De, De Jong will be first. Yeah, but, but I do yeah, think I that those two players are have become priorities for United. And they're also the ones where the deals are much more concrete as in terms of executing them. So again, just keep, keep your eye on this. And when we talk about our midfield, which we will do a show on that very soon, those two players will definitely feature. Absolutely. I think uh, Anthony is going to be a really interesting one, exciting one because of the sort of profile that he is. And I think what he can actually offer Man United, he offers something on that right-hand side, being a left-footer that I don't think anyone else in the squad, maybe Ahmad, but Ahmad's not ready, uh, could offer. So I think he's really exciting to watch. Uh, guys, as always, give us a follow on at TF Masterclass. Make sure you do that because you will miss when we're going live. Obviously, we've had them spread out, so make sure you do give us a follow on the socials and hit that subscribe button as well. Give me a follow at Hader underscore Robani and give Rob a follow at underscore underscore Rob underscore B. Rob, you have your own podcast as well that the listeners should definitely be listening to. It's a little bit different to this, but it's a little bit more current in terms of the news that's going on. So, uh, yeah, why don't you plug that now as well? Yeah, it's the promised land. I'm sure quite a lot of you watch it anyway. It's for 90 min. They, they commission it. It's for them. Uh, and we do talk a little bit more about transfers and the state of play. So that show goes out twice a week. Also on YouTube, Spotify, Apple and everywhere else where you get your podcasts. And it's a little bit more chatty in terms of maybe what me and Scott Saunders think about stuff. But we also do try and obviously inject all the latest transfer news and stuff that we're hearing because we do hear stuff and we put it in the show and then a couple of days later it goes live and it comes out and people are like, oh, you did actually talk about that. So if you watch the show or if you subscribe to the show, you'll get all that information as soon as it drops. There's a new show today. So if you look at my socials, you will see there the link. And that is the Promised Land podcast. So yeah, give Rob a follow to keep up to date with that. Have a great time, guys, and we'll see you all next time. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.